Brothers and sisters, friends, I see some enemies. Hey guys, you're listening to Connecting the Dots. Thank you for being with me today and taking the time to listen to my podcast. I'm Kevin. I hope you all have been sound and strong and doing more than just hanging in there. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen, especially when you can literally be doing anything else. So I'm going to try and make this episode worth it. Uh, The last episode, I ended it by talking about our adversaries and mobilizing against people who actually possess power instead of focusing on trivial and distracting issues. The book we're getting into today is called The Power Elite by C. Wright Mills. Uh, It was published in the 50s, so it's it's pretty old, but it's more important and enlightening than ever. This is actually the first book I read this year, among, you know, many others, um, and I was first introduced to The Power Elite a couple of years ago, and I have not taken my eyes off of them since. Uh, I'm super excited to get into this one, uh, so let's do it. Just, Just a disclaimer, though. Mills, who's the author, provides so much insight on the elitists and their backgrounds, their education, their lifestyle, and even their psychology a bit. Uh, again, though, I want to give a warning that I'm, I'm kind of watering it down to keep the episodes brief and focusing on parts that I think might just be most enlightening for you or interesting. But at the same time, there's so much more information being left out. So again, I hope you guys check it out yourselves whenever you get the chance. Okay, guys, right off the bat... The power elite is composed of three main entities. The three are the corporate elite, the military warlords, and the political elite. But let's start off with the corporate ones. The author says that the only everlasting American value is money. Uh, It is pervasive within our culture and has more power over us than most people would care to acknowledge. It can be very restricting at the same time and debilitating if you don't have it. Freedom means that you have the power to do what you want when you want to do it. In American society, the power to do what you want when you want to do it requires money. Money provides power, and power provides freedom. Wealth in America can be directly gratifying, and this can lead to further gratification. Uh, The rich are the winners within our society, and money and money values are the ultimate goal. Unfortunately, this is what we allow. Although we're really focusing on the the elite and the rich, uh, it's clear to see how their mindset and rhetoric has become pervasive within our culture. Just hop on social media and you'll see some jackass, somebody flaunting money around and, you know, their $100 bills as if that's anything to be impressed with. Yet people do it. It's important to them. Money is the ultimate goal for most people and they're happy to show it off, usually not really offering much else except showing it off. Uh, this is exactly what the elitists want us to focus on, with, especially the corporate elitists want us to focus on for all our lives until the day we die. Fuck your personal passions or hobbies and skills, livelihoods and happiness. Just get money. You're not successful if you don't have it. We simply have to believe. We, we almost feel encouraged to believe and forced to believe that the American rich are happy and they are successful or else if we don't buy into that our confidence in the whole system might be shaken the funny thing is though that the douchebags showing their hundred dollar bills for others to admire they're fucking bums and cockroaches compared to the people within the corporate elite not just because of the difference in wealth but 
the differences in power and what they can do with their money. In the economic and political areas, the corporate rich wield a lot of power, enormous power. But they never had to win or earn the consent of those who they hold this power over. They were never elected. They're rarely held accountable. And often business is done behind closed doors. Nowadays, and even back then in the 50s when this book was written, more and more of the corporate rich have entered government directly. And this has created a new political economy. And at the top, we find those that represent the rich, the corporate rich. They have raided the government and gained privileges within it. They often pay their taxes a lot more flexibly. They're subsidized or supported with taxpayer dollars. And they usually figure out how to get tax deductions or they hire others to do this for them. For every law taxing big money, there is a way for those with big money to avoid it or minimize it. They actually have a lot of nasty and slimy practices, but I'll save the details for that for another uh, episode and another book. This session is overall going to be pretty general. But in recent years, more businesses have been creating foundations, excuse me, have been creating foundations, uh, nonprofits or charities. And this is a way to create, you know, national or local good. But they also benefit from these foundations. um, And it's a convenient way to avoid taxes, actually. Uh, In other words, it can be very self-interested while showing the world how big their pockets and their hearts are. Mills clarifies that money allows the economic power of the extremely rich to be translated directly into political party causes and agendas. As the corporate world has become more involved in the political world, corporate executives have now become more associated or closely associated with politicians, especially the key politicians who form the political elite. The distinctions between the political and economic man or woman are blurring. Trump epitomizes this and portrays both the political and economic elite. Here's a quote from from the chairman of the Fortune Company back in the day that uh, the author provides. Any president who wants to run a prosperous country depends on the corporation, probably more than the corporation depends on him. This highlights the strength and influence that corporations have over our over our society. Not just in a commercial or consumerism way, but in a much more pervasive way. You know, influencing policies or blocking progress or catering to their own self-interest and allowing their lust and obsession with more profits to degrade our environment and peoples. Their ideologies are overall very conservative. They want to conserve what they have. But they actually think that they are without ideology because they consider themselves, quote-unquote, practical men and women. Self-made men, as they say. But no man is self-made. We are only self-shaped. And they have self-shaped themselves into money and power-hungry individuals. But as the author explains, behind every great fortune are great crimes. These men and now women exploit national resources at home and overseas. They wage economic wars. They make public domains and public areas private and for profit. And they use any and every method to achieve what they want. They have money to infiltrate areas of life and have armies of lawyers to protect them or destroy their competition. They are fucking ruthless. They are the motors and engines of capitalism, and it's disgusting to look at what's underneath the surface of this. And then they're the ones to tell us, go go get money, work hard, don't give up. It's difficult to think 
that men and that men and women can enter their ranks and you know their their status just by working hard and climbing up the ladder. I'm not talking about business owners or entrepreneurs or doctors even. Like th- these are little fish in comparison. I'm talking about people who control and wield corporate giants and control or influence social institutions. The ones we all use. It's very rare and maybe even impossible nowadays to slowly climb or accumulate or work your way to the top no matter what you do or how hard your grind is it's it's easier and safer if you're just born into it you got to be in it overall these are men and women who set the rules and the laws of the land and apparently a little bit of the culture even these are the winners of our society and when you win you win big big enough to buy yourself into places that you have no business being trump is an example This takes us to our second group that composes the power elite, the military warlords, as he calls them. If there's one thing that America is good at, it's getting into wars and committing acts of mass violence. This is seen throughout history. But it's also not sustainable and it's not civilized. Uh, The state, our state, has centralized or concentrated power and they control the means for violence. They control the means for violence. Inside their military bureaucracy or their military image, where everything seems neat and controlled, the army officers often feel that politics is a dirty game and that politicians are the ones that are unqualified. Although it's Congress that funds the military, in regards to many of the major international decisions, professional diplomats or politicians are usually bypassed and and the decisions are being made by cliques of high military and personnel and I'm sorry, high military, political, and corporate personnel, or the the power elite. Uh, This isn't very democratic, and none of us should feel comfortable allowing such a small group to call the shots, especially when it's on such a grand scale. Um, Even more so when one of these groups is prone to violence and aggression, and the other group puts profits before people at every turn. They may have separate goals and agendas, but they do know how to work together and stay tight. It's not uncommon to see generals advising corporate presidents or seeing corporate presidents advising generals. Many of these generals and admirals, instead of retiring when they, you know, when they get older, they'll often become board members. In, in the business world, they want generals, they want leaders to regiment and to discipline. The author says that even back, even back in the day, the country was shifting towards a permanent war economy. War is healthy for corporations and the corporate economy. War creates the need to continue corporate activities within political and economic areas. Professional economists, though, will say that, or they even consider the military and military institutions as parasitic, as a a parasite, and yet reality remains the same. Overall, though, the economic relevance of the military is huge, just just like its budget. Uh, For the year 2020, the military budget was around... $738 $738 billion. $738 billion. Wow. I believe the proposed budget for 2021 was around the same, give or take a, a few billion. We have rising inequalities at home and we're coming off a pandemic while at the same time taking some big hits economically. But at least we have our priorities straight by investing this much fucking money into killing other people and arming ourselves and militarizing. If Congress is the one that funds the military, that means that all your favorite congressmen and congresswomen are content with this number and the misdirection of our resources. Why is, this is why it's important not to treat these people like celebrities, because at the end of the day, they're still contributing to problems uh, 
and you know misdirection of resources. Scientific and technological development have increasingly become part of the military world. This is where private corporations come in, the buyer and the seller. Since World War II, scientific research has been set by military considerations and funded by military budgets. So in other words, there's always a military element or aspect involved. The military has also increasingly used educational facilities, uh, public and private. They use universities for specialized training or military training of students. Many schools need financial support nowadays, and obviously the federal government doesn't provide it, so the military is happy to step in. They got the money. Today, colleges are eager for this opportunity. Um, It's prestigeful, it offers some kind of status, and it's financially helpful. As a result, we now have military men without any qualifications serving, you know, as college administrators and, uh, you know, some type of academic leadership. Mills takes a shot at the military men, though, and their process or system. And it's one worth thinking about if we put it in context, especially when these military men are kind of entering different spheres of power and different areas of power. Officers spend so you know, such a long time in the lower groups of military rankings that they often never really learn how to think for themselves or think critically. Even those of the higher rank have to crawl upwards in their careers. And when they finally reach these commanding ranks, they have lost their youth and, you know, sometimes their ambition. And at this point, they're usually better at obeying things or at, at obeying. Now, everything seems neat and polished when related to the military's image and portrayal. But this is because they have great, excellent public relations. Uh, they spend millions of dollars and have employed thousands of skilled publicists in order to sell their ideas and sell themselves to the public and to Congress. The true purpose of this, though, is to portray the armed forces in a way that it you know, looks attractive. Uh, and it kind of justifies, uh, justifies the expansion of the military. In other words, everything that appears in the news or media that concerns the military is summarized and analyzed, and everything that they released is reviewed and censored. Top admirals and generals have their own public relations people to help with their image, but here's a list of some of the tactics that they deploy. This was kind of back in the day, so I'm sure it's, um, you know, it's changed, uh, but the message kind of remains the same. The author says that they often, well, actually, no, he says that they will daily uh, release stories to the press uh, structured stories. Uh, they prepare their own scripts. They make their own recordings, and they take their own pictures for TV and media outlets. Uh, they actually bought a studio or a film studio in the East, you know, that they got from Paramount in 1942. Um, again, this was all, you know, this was all a little bit. This is all a little bit dated. Uh, but if you want a little bit more insight, look into something called Operation Mockingbird when you get the chance to get a better idea of how pervasive this uh, practice is. But all of this in summary, guys, means that there's no free or wide debate regarding military policies and practices. And right now, there absolutely should be. Right now, there is no interest. There is no combination of interests that has the capabilities or the money or the power to present a point of view that can compete with the views presented by the military and those who they employ, like their publicists. By definition of the Constitution... The military is supposed to be subordinate to political authority and generally it serves as a servant or advisor 
to civilian politicians. In reality, though, military men are moving into other circles and trying to increase their own power and their own status. This takes us to the last group of the power elite, uh, which is called the political director or the elite politicians. I'm going to paraphrase an, an excerpt from, from Mills that I, that I thought was interesting and can be a fresh reminder uh, as to, you know, in regards to what we see and what's reality. He swept into office, his administration being as efficient as any business as, and as moral as any church and as warm-hearted as any family. His face as honest as any business executive and his manner sincere. All of this comes straight to you through the lens of any camera and microphone. We already discussed the tactics with the military warlords and the deception that this offers, but politicians take a similar route. They're driven, I mean, they're, they're driven by a variety of factors. Um, this can include, you know, wanting to make impact or social impact or just loving the activities, campaigning, holding office, or sometimes just the prestige that politics can offer. Obviously, not every politician is a scumbag, but they are in a crimey business, uh, especially now that, you know, corporate interest is involved. The author differentiates between mid-level politicians and the elite ones. The elected politicians are usually found within the lower levels, and the appointed politicians are more on the national or elite level. And these guys are the ones that are appointed, they're assigned. Um, as a result, in America, the center, you know, the center of decisions has kind of shifted from Congress to the executive, meaning the executive branch. And Mills provides, the author says that, he, he gives insight on the three top policymaking positions. Uh, in this country, it is the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Treasury, and the Secretary of Defense. These are elite uh, political uh, positions. Right now, they're occupied by Mike Pompeo, Steve Nunich, and Mark Esper. Look into these guys. For there to even be a political elite and having gained its power, you know, having gained it by appointment rather than being elected... This points to the decline of our process and it bypasses those politicians that were actually elected into office. Those that were elected were chosen by the people. Those that were appointed were chosen by other elitists. Now a small group of men and women are in charge and, you know, in charge of the executive decisions being made in the name of America, in the name of the United States, in our name. These political outsiders who currently occupy command posts and, you know, form the political elite are really legal, managerial, and financial members of the corporate rich. They're hacks. We value money so much that we give these people positions of great power over our genuine civil servants. And we do not have professional politicians at the center of decisions anymore. Those centers are occupied by, by elitists. All right, guys, now that we discussed the different groups and got a little bit of information and insight on them, let's finish off by figuring out what this means for us. Unfortunately, America clings to the idea that that government is some kind of machine automatically set up and regulated by balancing balancing interests, checks and balances. This is a misconception. Mills calls out that, you know, he actually calls out social sciences, which is my discipline, um, that it's not effective enough to just list problems, um, but to apply real social analysis. This is we must this means we got to go beyond just facts that are involved, but we need to weigh them in ways where we can understand how they fit together and form what it is you're trying to understand. In other words, connecting the dots. He's talking about, you know, detrimental oversimplifications, how a Marxist 
can just view the economic man as the real holder of power, how liberals can view the political man as the chief, or how others will kind of just see the warlords as potential dictators uh, and bullies. It's not really one or the other. It's not a black and white problem. This is people with interlocking interests. These people hold power in society and they know it. So you think any one of them would willingly check themselves? If people get power trips when they get certain low-level jobs, like being a police officer or getting a promotion to manager or something, you think these guys are going to be any different? No way, man. Even, even, (laughs) it's just, it's it's almost human nature uh, to take advantage of that power dynamic, especially when you're the one on top. Even between the political, or I'm sorry, even between the power elite, though, it's still unequal. The military and the corporate elite dominate the political aspect. The military and corporate uh, areas have coinciding interests, and this strengthens them. Politicians don't sit in with generals. Corporate executives do, especially when they're planning you know, war efforts. The power elite is shaped by the coincidence of interests uh, between those who control the means of production and those who control the means of violence, which is the corporate people and the warlords. The decline of the professional politician has allowed for the rise of corporate chiefs and military warlords. Even then, though, many of our representatives don't really represent us. They're not rank-and-file citizens. They're usually successful entrepreneurs or professionals, college-educated and usually native-born, and usually white. There's a certain level of detachment with that, which is why it's important to support politicians or campaigns and people that actually reflect our interests and our needs. Right now, our political campaigns distract attention from the possibility of real policy debate. Trump and Biden are clear examples of this. Each candidate tries to dishonor his opponent and vice versa. This is stagnating and distracting. I mean, they're both scumbags, so what does it matter who's worse, but at least let me know which of you scumbags has a plan or a policy that can be beneficial moving forward. Instead, we get caught up on degrading one over the other, not allowing for any real discussion or progress. Instead, these elitists will make decisions on their own and justify it in the name of the American people. One solution to this is we need to be more involved and we have to demand a seat at the table. Otherwise, we're not going to get invited. The people need to be presented with problems. We need to discuss them. Then we decide, we formulate viewpoints, we organize, and then we compete. This is necessary for public democracy and participation. Instead, currently, the public has turned into masses. There is a difference. Um, Masses are defined as fewer people expressing opinions and receiving them, and the major form of communication for the masses would be the media instead of conversation and debate. The public discusses, and the masses are fed to the media. Right now, there is little opposition overall towards public mindlessness, which leaves us very vulnerable. A mass society can absolutely lead to totalitarianism, which is what a lot of people are afraid of right now. Um, sometimes it's hype, you know, said like an exaggeration, but it's still a valid fear. Fortunately for us, though, the most powerful and wealthy are not necessarily the most knowledgeable. Knowledge equals power, but power does not equal knowledge. Ask these elitists some tough questions. Put the pressure on them and watch. Just watch how they crumble. They will literally show you their incompetence. Take Trump or Biden. Watch what happens to them when a reporter or a a citizen asks them tough questions. They'll either get upset, they'll deflect, or they'll just say something stupid. 
This epitomizes their lack of substance and qualifications. We shouldn't settle on them or anyone like them. We should demand better leaders. None of these fuckers impress me, especially when I see and know brilliant people all around me. They are you. Some of, some of you guys are much more qualified, you know, in regards to leadership and compassion and knowledge uh, than many of the people in office right now. We need to rise. We also, at the same time, have to demand changes in the system to make it easier for regular, dope people like us to be in positions of influence. Knowledge clarifies and sets, one's free, sets one free, but these guys, these hacks, they, they don't have it. We have to stop seeing elites as celebrities or something to attain, something to, to gain. That's another thing, guys. Like the, the members of the power elite, they're not, you know, off in the shadows necessarily. They're not some kind of secret society. Um, they're not mysterious white men in black suits. I mean, sometimes, but you, for the most part, you know these people by name. These are people with incredible wealth and fame. The president, any president, any president's uh, cabinet members. Corporate giants like uh, Mark, Zuck- Mark Zuckerberg or the Jeff, the Jeff Bezos of the world. Uh, the owners of companies like Walmart, Apple, Boeing, and the uh, oil and gas companies. Along with any of the military contractors. Some of these people are very much in the spotlight. So don't think of them as, you know, faceless individuals hiding in the shadows. They're people you know. Right now, guys, we're, we're not balanced. Uh, especially when greed and ruthlessness have infiltrated our system and institutions that are supposed to uphold justice and progress. These administrations and institutions currently have more power than the American public does. And as a result, decisions are becoming more faithful, not just for Americans, but for all humankind. We cannot allow our leaders and sources of information to close up on us and make these decisions privately or on our behalf and in our name. They'll often deny their own power and influence, but These elites control major institutions and organizations. They have more money, more power, more prestige, and they are a relatively small group who make decisions of enormous consequences for the rest of us. We can no longer assume that we, as a nation or collective, are shaping the direction of this country entirely. These people not only determine the role that they play, but they determine the roles that millions of men and women on a day-to-day basis play. They are much more unified and powerful and structured, but we gotta, we gotta bust that shit. To start off, we must force ourselves to be aware and gather some insight, and then reclaim our voices and power. But if we can't even do this, then we'll never get anywhere. We have to decide. Do we want to be part of the public, or do we want to be part of the masses? <sighs> Alright guys, that's going to be it for today. I hope you like the information from this book and its insight. Uh, I hope you guys can check it out. The author provides a lot more information and background. It can be a little dense. Uh, It was written in the 50s, but this knowledge is invaluable. Uh, I think it's important to know these people, their their tactics, their psychology, their background in history. Uh, We we must know them to oppose them. I have another protest song recommendation for you guys, and this one actually relates to today's episode. It's called Rich Man's World by Immortal Technique. Uh, It's pretty sick because he's he's rapping from, from... like he's rapping in the song from the perspective of an elitist. So check it out. Listen to the lyrics more than anything. Um, I'll have a link in the in the episode's description that will connect you to the song and you know on YouTube and another link where you can buy the actual book, The Power Elite, on a site or an app called uh, Thriftbooks. But all right, guys, uh, keep connecting the dots. I appreciate anyone who takes the time to listen in, if anyone does. All right, man. Peace. <laughs>